Happy holidays. I'm Sage Justice. Merry Christmas. I'm Erica Hubbard. Happy holidays. I'm Brett Shapin. And you're answering a holiday gone good. A holiday gone good. A holiday gone good. It's time to crack out the latkes and get frisky under the mistletoe. My name is Santa Steve, and you've found yourself smack inside our third annual Holidays Gone Good. What's the best present you can give a podcast at Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Kwanzaa slash Festivus? The gift of sharing, of course. Help us spread the good of this special episode by sharing it with your friends and families and even, yes, the Grinches and Scrooges in your life. Brighten the season by sharing the good of World Gone Good. All right, are you ready for a merry overload? Well, you better be because my four guests today are here and they're bringing their holiday good in force. So let's get right to it, shall we? First up, my new BFF actress and mentor, Erica Hubbard. Uh, well, now don't get jealous all my previous and current BFFs. You're going to want her to be your BFF too as soon as you meet her. My new BFF actress and mentor, Erica Hubbard, is here. Well, we were just discussing before we started recording, we are both getting over a cold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That is like the <laughs> the seasonal cold happens every year. Um, I was prepared for it this year. I have like a medicine cabinet full of like vitamins and all kind of teas and everything you could think of. So I was ready to tackle this cold this year. And so so far so good. It's been about a month, but I'm hanging in there. So I'm you know I'm I'm up for the challenge and I feel good. I feel good. Now we are going to talk about a few things with you, but we're going to start with the holidays and I'm actually going to start with what I like to call holiday rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Here we go. You have to choose between <laughs> these two things. Ski bunny or by the fire? By the fire. Mhm. Holiday sweaty <laughs> holiday sweater. I'm going to leave that in. Holiday <laughs> sweater or bad holiday sweater? Bad holiday sweater, ugly holiday sweaters because they're cute. <laughs> party thrower or party goer? Oh, party thrower, most definitely. Party thrower. Hallmark Christmas movie or National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Oh, that's hard. That's hard. I know. I'm, I'm I know. Hallmark movies. Is that like a dream of yours to be in one? Yeah, actually, I am um, um, addicted to watching them. So mm -hmm. I'm manifesting that right now. I just wrote a holiday movie called Holiday Mistletoe. So um, it's coming out soon. It's coming out soon. Oh, nice. We have to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, and the last question is, and this is going to go back to something, hot cider or hot cocoa? And I know the answer. Hot cider. <laughs> <laughs> I scream that. Well, yeah, you know my recipe, huh? You know the recipe from well, my parents. You 
you got to tell your mother's secret recipe because you sent it to me. I want you to tell everybody. And I also want to apologize to your mother. Um, is your mother still around? Yes. Okay, good. So is mine. So let's apologize to our mothers because you're giving away the recipes, which is like a forbidden thing. What is the hot cider recipe? I know. And I thought about that. Like, should I tell the secret? But you know what? I want everybody to um, feel good during the holiday season. So I'm going to tell her secret. So here I go. I'm I'm spilling the beans. Um, So she makes this a warm comforting drink holiday drink and it's a you gotta boil water so you need hot water uh and then you put boiled apples inside of it so get them nice and softened and you dump them into the hot water then you put some um sugar a little sugar in there and then you sprinkle a little cinnamon powder in there and then you dip a, a cinnamon stick in there and you drink it and woo Happy holidays to you. It's a nice, warm, comforting holiday drink. Yeah, he's throwing a hit of brandy, and we really got a party going here. <laughs> yeah. I love that you said I'm spilling the beans. I was like, you're spilling the tea. You're spilling the cider. We could do a whole thing on this. Spill, spilling the cider and telling her her cider secrets. <laughs> but, um, yeah, she's not. She's She's, you know what? So many people come into the house and they have that drink and it's festive, it's fun. And uh, that's the best part about, you know, the holiday season is that drink. Because I know when I get in the house, I'm going to smell it and then drink it and then feel all happy inside. Now, you are a very accomplished actress. And I do have a question for you because you had a very early successful career. And I want to talk about that. But I do have a question for you. Now that you're older. And you look back at your younger acting career, what would you go back and tell yourself back then if you could go back and talk to that younger version of yourself who was in all of these amazing shows, which we're going to get to, and a huge movie. Um, uh, I'm going to say it wrong because I always say it right. It's Akela and the B, right? Yes, Akela and the B. And, it, it's, and it's not a B. It's not, she's not, it's not, she's does not, it's not a B farm. She's not around <laughs> hornets. It's a spelling bee, everybody. Yes. What would you go back and tell that younger version of Erica? Well, I would tell Erica, the younger Erica Hubbard version of me when I did all those films to date some of those guys that wanted to date me on those sets because it was, a, you know, oh I didn't live my life fully out. I was too shy. I was like, what is he doing? He's talking to me. He, but he's a star. He's famous. And what is it? And I was just like, what? What? What now? <laughs> like, what was I thinking? I had a whole lot of hotties talking to me. And um, I, I should have went on more dates. Yeah, I should have went on more dates. I'm, I'm, Erica, I'm I want to be your best friend. <laughs> I think everybody listening wants to be your best friend, but I seriously want to be your best friend. Yeah. That's, um, that's an amazing answer. And I love that it's true. Yeah. That's how you feel. I love it. I, I was just too shy. I mean, the dating scene. And I'm still trying to come up out of my little shell to try to, you know, do more of it. But uh, you know what? I'm still amazed because in my DMs, I'm like, whoa, he's trying to talk to me. What? I still I don't know I don't know what it is I need to just I need to just come up out of my shell and be like embrace it and be like yeah let me let me talk to him let me go out let me come on but you know I'm I'm still um talking to myself and trying to amp myself up to um get out there let's talk about Lincoln Heights you had a good experience playing Cassie you had a okay experience how was it for you I was in love with Cassie I would date Cassie. I love Cassie. <laughs> Cassie's son. She was phenomenal. I just I just woke up every day at what three in the morning, four AM and happy to go to work and come back at whew, 
11 p.m., 10 p.m., because I live so far from the set. <laughs> I was just happy. I was happy all four years. So um, I was a really good experience with Cassie. That's great. And they filmed here in Los Angeles. Yep. They filmed right there in um, a, on a big, a whole bunch of sound stages. Um, but you know what? Uh, we filmed in Culver City. But I have to say, I think what makes that series so great is that is action packed. It was action packed. Every single episode, we we did locations. We were on location as well as on sound stages. But um, you know, with the car chases and the police scenes, and then all the the dating that Cassie did, and all in about around town, it it just held your attention. And then the storylines, the writing was good, the lighting was good, everything was good. The the set decor, the props, everything was good on that set. The food was good. So we just all were just elated to be there as one big uh, family and. Uh, Rest in peace. Happy heavenly uh, belated birthday to Chadwick. Um, Because, you know, he's part of our family. Um, Very on early, we we met him. Nobody knew about him. But, oh, my gosh, talented. Let's talk about your Christmas movie that you say you wrote. I want to hear about this. Well, I just wrote um, a Christmas movie called Holiday Mistletoe. So a couple of people are so interested in it. I got some attachments and uh, it's a cute love story. You know, I love story. I love love stories. So I wrote that in mind. And, you know, I'm a, a Christmas movie watcher gu- guru. So <laughs> I was like, I can't be just like any other Christmas story. It has to be something different. So uh, not to give too much away, but Holiday Mistletoe is just a, a story where she's looking for love, but she finds it in the comfort of her own home. Now, how does that happen? <laughs> so she She's always out and about looking for love, but she ends up finding it, finding um, her, the love of her life at her, at her house. So it, uh, it ends cute. It ends so cute. And um, I can't wait for people to see it. And did you write the character for yourself, obviously, or do you want to direct it? You know what? It's crazy because a lot of producers that I have it in the hands of, they're like, Erica, you should direct. You should direct. So I'm thinking about directing it. Um, but I got some other scripts that people want me to direct as well. So I just got to see with scheduling and, and, and time constraints what I want to do. But uh, I, I'm just happy that I, I, I wrote something that people um they they relate to and they're like okay i'm on board so that's what i'm happy about you know and then plus it's a good holiday cheery film so that's first and foremost and then people are like you got to write your story you got to write your story so i i am going to write my story because people are interested in um how i got to where i am from growing up on the south side of chicago and 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 in like a you know a, a a crazy little uh environment and then how did i you know flourish into this so i'm gonna write my story um soon we talked to a lot of authors and a lot of writers on here, and we just spoke to a, a self-published author named L.L. Abbott, who's self-published over 20 of her own novels. And we always talk about this. Is like I always ask, does everyone have a story to tell? Do you think that everyone has a story to tell? But do you also think that people have a holiday story in them to tell? I think everybody has a story to tell. I think everybody, uh, life is fascinating once you dig deep and um, listen to people and their upbringing. Because it's always it's always fascinating to hear how people um, grew into who they are. And so I think we need more of those t- um, stories, you know, st- uh, true life stories. And we don't get enough. We don't get to see enough of them. But um, what makes a fascinating story on my end that people are like, they're kind of perturbed, like, wow, you came from that. And how did you, you know, because a, a lot of times 
Um, when you grow up in a certain environment, you get stuck in that environment and you're kind of hopeless. And they're like, well, how are you so hopeful? And so I kind of programmed my own mind to be hopeful. And, um, I am my own best cheerleader. I'm, I'm, I am my own best coach. And, uh, I, I, I really didn't have a lot of mentors growing up. Um, a little bit, a little bit in the church, but I wasn't really that much into the church like that. But that, I think that's what helped me, me just being like, um, an advocate for myself, you know, and reading, I read a lot. I read like 10 books this year, uh, self-help books and books and, and podcasts such as yours and just listening to people that have are accomplished. I dug myself out of a hole and um, grew. And so that's, and that's one of the reasons why I like to give back to, and I, I created the Erica Hubbard Foundation. My nonprofit is to go back and mentor kids that are trying to come up out of a bad situations and make something great of their lives. So it's just important. It's important to give back and to, you know, be your own best cheerleader, be your own best advocate, say your mantra, say your affirmations, whatever you need to do, your chants, whatever, sing to yourself, whatever you need to do, you know, to, to make yourself um, become something better. Tell us about the Erica Hubbard Foundation. How did it start? What are the goals? And my question is for you too. start with there. I always do this. I'm so sorry to all my guests. I'm one of those people who ask 30 questions and they're like, what were the fucking questions you just asked me, Steve? <laughs> okay. So how did this start and what are your goals with it? I, you just said what the goals with it. So that's pretty much done. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, Steve. Um, I created the Erica Hubbard Foundation, um, 501c3 nonprofit because, you know, okay. So I was on Lincoln Heights and I got a lot of phone calls to talk to people. Like every weekend, I was like, whoa, I'm just getting off work. I'm tired, but I do feel like I do want to motivate somebody. Wait, wait, when you say, when you say you had people calling you, do you mean like younger people who needed inspiration? You had both. I had adults calling me needing encouragement. I had kids, uh, youth group centers calling me needing mentors. And so I would um, go to colleges. I would go to youth groups, elementary schools um, and, and motivate and encourage the kids to see something beyond what they see. So how do you do that? I was um, the power of imagination and um, I would do like um, feel good exercises, uh, uh, exercises to create a future, you know, to be a visionary. So I would do that. And then I started getting a lot, a lot of phone calls, more and more and more Girl Scouts of America, Boys and Girls Club. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So then I was like, wait a minute. Let me just create a nonprofit. So I created a nonprofit in 2010 and um, I've been, you know, getting calls and uh mentoring kids since 2010, but I've also um, gave out scholarships as well, which I think is important for people who want to further their education. So we're giving out our fourth scholarship in 2023. So I'm so happy about that. Uh, You know, it's for kids that uh, have financial hardship. How does my audience support your organization? Where do they go to find out more and how do they make a donation to support those kinds of scholarships and helping others? You, you can visit uh, the Erica Hubbard Foundation. We are on Instagram, or you can visit our website, uh, the Erica Hubbard Foundation.com. And on Instagram, it's the underscore Erica underscore Hubbard underscore Foundation. Go give Erica Hubbard's Foundation some good holiday love. Next up, actor Brett Chapin brings letters to Santa front and center. Brett Chapin, you are with me, and the holidays are upon us, and I'm most excited to talk to you about many things, 
But we have to start here. You were in a Christmas movie called Christmas with the Andersons in 2016, where you played a character named Kevin. Tell us everything. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was a film that uh, was on the Ion Network. Um, it was uh, directed by the great Michael Pfeiffer. And um, gosh, that was uh, two or three days on, on the set in this big, beautiful house. Uh, it was a holiday film. And um, just, you know, I was playing a, a character named Kevin, who was one of the family members of uh, the main family in the film. And uh, funny story from that set, actually, there was one of the um, uh, other background uh, actors was a, a little kid, maybe seven, seven or eight. And uh, and there was a train set that was set up on the on the in the living room floor. It was kind of uh, just a set piece, and he was playing with it. And and I and I was like, oh wow, that that train's really cool there. And and I was like, do you so do you like regular trains or do you like electric trains? And he's like, regular trains, regular trains are for babies. That's stupid. <laughs> You're stupid. And I'm like. Well, I'm rubber and you're glue and whatever you say bounces off me and sticks onto you. And he, <laughs> and he goes, huh? And I'm, that's what I thought. So I, I think I, I, I think I showed that, that, that little punk, but um, <laughs> no, no, um, no, we just had a lot of fun on that set. Um, and uh, I was working with some, with some close friends on that. Um, and uh, it's a really good classic holiday story. Now, we all see these movies. We all see the snow coming down outside. Mm -hmm. What is that stuff made of? <laughs> we don't know out here in California. You know, we, don't see, we don't see much of that out here. What do they um, use on a set, though? I mean, is it, is it paper? Like, what do they use? Oh, you know, it's actually a snow machine. Oh. It's, um, you know, they have some ski areas where, uh, out here where we don't, uh, sometimes we don't, we don't get the snow. And so they have an actual snow machine that'll spread the snow up on the hills. And they use the same type of machine on the set just to, uh, sort of make, uh, like it's snowing. As a matter of fact, in the closing scene for the movie, uh, it's just outside the house and there's all this snow coming down. And we had to be out there for, three or four hours and the snow itself isn't so cold, but outside it was kind of cold. Um, so it was, uh, it was a, a rough night on set that particular night, but we got through it and um, we made a great product. Now you had some money if you had a snow machine for this movie, I got to say, because you also worked where I worked for a very short time on the soap opera general hospital and they don't have the kind of money to make a snow machine. I've seen the snow and I know I've told it on here before I know how we make um, the water reflect in the dock um, off of any of the piers in General Hospital. I've, I work there. I know that it's pieces of broken mirror put in a little bathtub, and they hit it with some light, and it throws some light up at your actuary faces. You were on General Hospital, and who did you play on the show? Oh, you're giving away all our secrets. Sorry. I've done this before. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. The magic of uh, Hollywood. Um, yeah, I, I uh, played Roger Barstow. Um, who uh, works for Victor Cassadine. Uh, he was killed off, unfortunately. He was uh, uh, knocked out and then uh, suffocated with poisonous gas. But um, I've, I've had a chance to come back on the show uh, for maybe 10 or 12 episodes since then. 
um, playing uh, different uh, background roles and small minor characters. And uh, it's just, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure. Now you are also a podcaster yourself. You had a show, I believe called La La Land. Yes, La La Land Talk, the uh, only nationally broadcast show at the time by Los Angeles artists about Los Angeles artists. Very cool. And how did that start? Um, it, you know, it's funny. It started over uh, just a, a conversation. I was talking with a friend of mine and uh, we were just discussing how there's a lot of uh, exposure for artists out there, but not a lot of exposure for Los Angeles-based artists specifically. Uh, so we wanted to uh, put together a show that was just based uh, well, not just, but primarily with Los Angeles-based artists. Uh, we had the great Robert Conrad, who was very, very supportive of us in the beginning. And uh, we were at first the cable radio network and later at uh, LA Talk Live. And um, it was 200 episodes over four years, just talking to everybody from uh, you know Spike Lee and Bill Pullman to uh, lesser-known artists. We had musical artists on there, uh, actors, musicians. Uh, it was a really, really great learning experience for me. And um, I, I feel like we, we gave something really great to, uh, to the world. That's really cool. So you know, you know what I do. You get it. You get it. Now, um, this is a holiday episode. And so we have some holiday questions we have to go through. Number one question is, as a kid, what was the ultimate present you wanted that you got and what's the ultimate present that you wanted that you didn't get? Ooh, I, I like the juxtaposition of, of both sides of that coin. Um, I remember the present I really, really wanted that, that I got. That one's easy. Uh, that was a, a keyboard when I was uh, seven or eight. And it was just this little little Casio keyboard. It wasn't, I mean, looking back, it wasn't that big a deal. But when you're seven or eight and you're getting a keyboard, and you're going to be able to have the opportunity to create music and and sing and and learn to play. Um, that's a really really big deal. Um, so I, I remember being really surprised on Christmas morning and and seeing the the shape of the present and, and having an idea what it was, but not being totally sure until I opened it and just being really surprised. Um, the present that I didn't get um, when I was. 14, I really wanted a pair of um, uh, Doc Martens, a, a pair of army boots, and my parents didn't want to get me those. So that was one present that I didn't get. Those are pricey. They are. They were like $200 at the time. And that was, even back then, that was a lot of money. So that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, I don't know why. I was, it must have been in my uh, dark emo phase at that time. I wanted army boots. <laughs> Now, you are working with an organization that you are passionate about called Miracle on 22nd Street. And I am like head over heels because this is the perfect match for this show. Tell everybody about this organization. Then we'll dive in with some questions. But tell them what the organization is. Yes. Uh, Miracle on 22nd Street. So uh, this is run by um, a great guy named uh, Jim Glaub uh, out in New York City. And uh, the story behind it is uh, randomly, I guess it must have been 11 or 12 years now, he started receiving letters uh, from kids to Santa. For whatever reason, they were addressed to his address, to his apartment number in New York. Uh, and uh, he and his partner started receiving all these letters, hundreds, hundreds of letters. 
And they didn't know what they wanted to do with them, but they knew that they couldn't just let them sit there and, and have Christmas morning come and have nothing be done with them. So, um, they put a little, uh, they made a little Facebook group called Miracle on 22nd Street, which still is up and running today. That's where people can find it. And they started asking people to, to volunteer and take a letter and fulfill uh, a wish for a child. Just send them a gift uh, back as Santa. And they got an amazing response. They started bringing it first to people at their work. And then, you know, the New York Times got a hold of the story and they put it out there and hundreds and hundreds of people started volunteering to receive a letter. And this has been going on for 11 to 12 years now. Um, they're a wonderful group of people and it's, it's the holidays now. It's, it's, uh, getting to be around Christmas time. That's when they start doing their work. So I would encourage anybody that can to, uh, check out, well, Anybody, period, should be checking out and liking the Facebook group, Miracle on 22nd Street. And if you can, write to Jim and uh, request a letter and, uh, you know, fulfill a, a, a kid's uh, Christmas gift wish. How did you find out about this? This was just through Facebook. I, I randomly found this group on Facebook. Um, I don't know. It must have been a mutual friend maybe posted it. I, I don't remember originally how I found them. But um, they're a great group of people. And, and the fact that it's been going on now for 11, 12, maybe 13 years now uh, is a testament to that there is really, uh, you know, with all the craziness that's going on in the world right now, there, there are some very, very good, wonderful, kind people in the world. And, um, you know, it gives you a real faith in humanity to uh, see that it's, it's still going on every single year. Did you ever send a letter to Santa when you were a kid? Yeah, I sure did. I sure did. As a matter of fact, I think that's, uh, he answered it when he gave me the keyboard. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think almost every year, you know, up until a certain age, I did. He's, uh, it, sometimes he, uh, he listens and sometimes he doesn't, but he sees you when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake. So we know that that part's true, at least. Now, so for this organization, do do people now know that their that their wishes can possibly be granted, as opposed to when this first started? Was it just sort of a thing? Do you do, do they have any follow up with any of the families? Is what I'm asking. Any feedback, or is it just anonymous on both ends? I believe it's anonymous on both ends. Um, I I don't know if some of the people uh, might have you know, gave given an indication of who they were when they sent the, the gifts or the letters back, but I, that would kind of ruin the surprise. So I, I believe it's just anonymous on both ends. How many wishes do you fulfill yourself? Do you just take one? Do you take a handful? What what's your what's your what's your grab bag for you? One. <laughs> that's no, that's great. Yeah. That's one is one is great. Yeah, I'm 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 an actor, so uh, but as a matter of fact, I need to get in touch with them this year because I haven't done it yet for this year. But uh, uh, yeah, no, we do we do what we can. You can see Brett next year in Apple TV's Mrs. American Pie, starring Kristen Wiig, Ricky Martin, and Holy Jingle Bells, the Queen, 
Carol Burnett. Now for some good holiday music delivered to us from across the pond. My pal Shannon Siebold has the voice of an angel. And I'm so proud of you, Shannon, because I asked you to send this tune over. And you did. You're super shy. So uh, buckle up, because here you come. Along with her friend, Quade Lagan. Here's their rendition of Blinded by Your Grace. I'm blinded by your grace Every night and every day When I was lost, yeah Well, ever since you found me I'm blinded by your grace Through the darkness you came And I'll be alright With you by my the way that I see it Know that I need it Your love never lets me down Your love never leaves me I'll know, oh Lord, I've been broken Although I'm not worthy You fix me Now I'm blinded by your grace Came and saved me, Lord, I've been broken Although I'm not worthy You fixed me, now I'm blinded by your grace I said a prayer this morning I prayed I would find a way To another day I was so afraid Till you came and saved came and saved me and the rain was pouring as the sun faded away now i'm in a better place no longer afraid blinded by your grace you came and saved me lord i've been broken although i'm not worthy you fixed me now i'm blinded by your grace Came and saved me, Lord, I've been broken Although I'm not worthy You fixed me, now I'm blinded By your grace You came and saved me, Lord, I've been broken Although I'm not worthy I'm blinded by your grace Came and saved me. Came and saved me. What better way to wrap up all this goodness than a jolly old holiday tale delivered from my good friend, Sage Justice? Long before I had a child, you know, in the era of arrogance where one dreams of being that parent who will finally do everything right, I was contemplating whether or not I would raise my child with holidays because, you know, between the consumerism and religious overtones, I didn't want to pass on values I don't embrace. 
But then again, I didn't want to deprive a child of the mysticism and magic of Hanukkah and Christmas. So I was talking with a friend about the pros and cons of raising children with holidays. And she said that her dad would create reindeer footprints in the house and make sounds on the roof of Santa's sleigh. And she was, you know, an adult and her eyes sparkled with splendor when she was reliving these memories. And I thought, oh, I want to make a child's eyes light up like hers. And so the thought bubble over my head became crowded with like everything I had read from classic literature to psychology about the importance of igniting a child's imagination. And the stories that she shared convinced me to introduce my child to Santa. And this also taught me how important it is that we share our stories of wonder because we never know who we might inspire. So (laughs) when my beloved daughter came along, I wanted to bring some magic into her life, but without lying to her. So I explained the historical relevance of Santa and that he was based on a real man, St. Nicholas, and that the current Santa was a symbol of Christmas spirit. So I took her to a mall to have her picture taken with Santa. I think you saw this picture. And this Santa would write on a piece of paper the item the child said that they wanted for Christmas, hand it to the photographer. And if you paid the you know overpriced pace, uh, price for the photo package, you received the piece of paper with your child's wish. Well, Steve, when I read the piece of paper, I asked myself, what kind of Pandora's box did I just enter? My child's wish had two words on it world peace. She was four. (laughs) So another Christmas rolled around and we stood in line for, for a photo with Santa and my daughter was none too pleased. Not only did she not receive the gift of world peace that she had asked for, but she informed me that this was not the same Santa as the one she took a picture with last year. And I knew she was right because last year Santa had introduced himself to me by saying, I'm Terry the Santa Terry Santa. (laughs) This year, Santa appeared to be a bit less sanitary. So my daughter confronted me. She said, is this some random man whose lap you were going to allow me to sit on? To which I could only reply, who wants to go to Build-A-Bear? So there were no more trips to Santa after that. However, he did remain the symbol for Christmas, who worked within each parent's personal budget, which is how we were able to explain to our curious daughter why Santa couldn't simply pay all of our bills. Now, it gets a little complicated here because around that time, our daughter lost her first tooth. So we explained the tooth fairy to her. We wanted to keep the magic going, you know, with Santa and the tooth fairy. And she said, well, instead of leaving money under my pillow, may I ask her to leave a flower instead? And we're like, oh, sure. Why don't you leave her a little note? So she wrote a note and it said something to this effect. Dear Tooth Fairy, I prefer flowers to money, but I understand if you leave neither because I'm keeping my tooth. Why are you collecting children's teeth anyway? That's creepy. If I give you my tooth, you might be able to clone me. No, thank you. (laughs) At this point, I feel like I failed to bring the childhood wonder into her life via the weird collector of DNA that is the Tooth Fairy and Santa, whose theme song sounded like instructions on how to be a stalker who knows when you're sleeping and who knows when you're awake. So I was considering throwing in the towel when a tiny gentleman named Smith arrived and filled our lives with years of magic and wonder. 
So Smith was an elf on the shelf. And for as much as our daughter rejected the tooth fairy and dubious mall Santas, she loved all things fairy, mermaid, and miniature. So my daughter is immunocompromised. And so some Christmases and Hanukkahs were spent in the hospital where Smith kept vigilant watch over her. And the fact that he would be in one creative and precarious location at night and somewhere completely new and different the next morning, it sparked her interest. And that he required nothing of her in exchange for his presence was the kind of Christmas magic she could embrace as she had always resented the conditional love that Santa's naughty nice policy incited. She loved Smith so much that she asked if he could come on her birthday as well as the month of December. And thus began the tradition of birthday visits from Smith, her elf on the shelf, who would dress in a yellow birthday cupcake suit and bring a teeny tiny scrolled birthday wish. Now here's where the 34th on Miracle Street magic comes. For her seventh birthday, we were in Chicago. And our daughter was worried that Smith wouldn't be able to find her. So we stayed at the Silversmith Hotel in hopes that he would find her through his namesake. And we decided to take a walk to view Macy's annual holiday window displays, which were placed surprisingly early that year, when lo and behold, who was there to greet us but Smith, our daughter's elf on the shelf dressed in his traditional Christmas attire. This was one of the most magical moments my daughter remembers of her childhood, for when he arrived, when we arrived back at the hotel, who was there to greet us again? Smith, of course, in his yellow cupcake birthday costume with a teeny tiny birthday scroll, wishing our daughter a happy birthday. And her parents were with her the entire time, so she knew we had nothing to do with this delightful, unexpected appearance of Smith in two wardrobe changes and locations over the course of one hour. So our daughter's a bit older now, and over the years she's asked me about the verity of Smith. I answer each question the same. I will tell you anything you want to know, but removing the mystery may remove the magic. She stops, she pauses, she thinks about it, and she responds, don't tell me. I know you and daddy play a role in all of this, but I still enjoy the magic. We remind her that on that Chicago holiday, we were as surprised to see Smith as she was. His presence that day was a modern miracle on 34th Street moment of honest magic. So let's talk about names because there are birth names. Yes. And there are chosen names. Yes. And when I first met you, you had a chosen name that quite frankly could have been your birth name. But I was like, there's no way that's her birth name. I can't be that birth (laughs) name. But you have since evolved that name again. So how is it that you're choosing your own names? Why are you choosing your own names? And does it have anything to do with the message that you want to put out in the world? Go. These are the questions. Those are awesome questions. I wish people had asked me that before and that I had thought to write down a perfect answer for you. But you're absolutely uh, 100% correct. And everything, I hope, has meaning. So the first performance name that I was using was Jane Doe. And it was because I wanted to represent every woman. And, And so often... Jane Doe is associated with anonymous women, you know, women who are unknown. And I really feel like 
the narrative of women has been unknown for far too long. And so I w- had this website, Jane Doe Integrity, which I hope to revamp because now with the Roe v. Wade being overturned, you know, I had all these shirts printed up that said to breed or not to breed, which was the title of my second uh solo show. And uh, maybe people would be interested in those again. I don't know. And so that name, that that was the name that I used. I really like privacy. And um, it just served me to kind of compartmentalize, like, this is my performing life, my public life, and this is my private life. But then I became a mother. And in that, I wanted to create a family. Um, but being a feminist, I, and neither, neither I nor my husband believed in a woman taking a man's last name. Um, and so we just had our own names for 17 years. And then we had a child, which, you know, we planned and waited, you know, I'm a planner like you. So I planned 17 years. <laughs> I mean, it's a little more complicated, interesting story than that. But but essentially, when it came to that, then that's when we decided we chose a family name. And um, Sage Justice actually is my legal name. That's what's on my passport. And then we have a private last name that I just keep private so that we all three of us have the same last name. And uh and with genetics now and you able to trace your family history, I don't think it's necessary. Women were losing their whole side of their history by taking a man's last name as it is. So I feel like this way is the most um, equal. Now, you're an author and you started – when did you start writing? You mean just like writing in general? In like general. In, did you just, would you write as a kid? Oh, yes. I remember when I was six years old, I would walk down the street to this park. I lived with my grandparents. They had a park at the end of the street. I would ride on the swings and it would create this kind of like meditative zone, you know, being on a swing, going back and forth. And there were tennis courts in front of me. So there was this tick, to, you know, to kind of go along with the swinging. And I would, I felt like I was just getting downloads. I would just have entire poems. And I, I started, that's how I started writing. And I think I was 15 when I penned my first, you know, book and started writing plays. Um, and, uh, you know, then of course, when I met you, I was writing my own material, but it wasn't until I had this um, very shocking and unexpected medical diagnosis uh, where they said you should plan for a funeral in 2018. Uh, you have this rare genetic disorder and it comes with a shortened life expectancy. And uh, I kind of freaked out and I thought, well, I have this young daughter. I, I, I felt like it's not that I felt like I had to tell her everything she needed to know because I trusted that that wisdom was already within her. But having lost my own parents so young, I had always longed to hear my papa, especially his advice to me, uh, you know, when I got married and as I was older. And I wanted to just give her, write to her the things that she might want as validation. So I I just started having these kind of waking up with these full essays in my head. I was writing letters to her. And long story short, the letters turned into uh, eight books, a whole series of books. And the first one was released earlier this year. And the next one um, hopefully will be released very soon. Where can people find your books and how can they purchase them? 
They can find them on Amazon. And the best way to, it's uh, tricky. You have to type in the whole thing. And I apologize, but Sage Words Freedom Book One. And you can just type that right in at Amazon. And a portion of the sale of every book goes to Help Path, which is uh, epath.org. You can look them up. They help provide housing for the homeless. And I've been working with them since the 1980s. So it is a very legitimate organization. We normally close these shows by asking a set of questions, but because it's the holiday, we're going right to this one. Tell me something holiday good. Oh, what's good about the holiday? Okay, so what's good about the holiday is the shopping addictions. You know, I have a shopping addiction, so I like to online shop and... um. It gives me a reason to say that this is this is good because I do it all year, but then I go extra hard um, shopping during the holiday season, you know, because it gives you a purpose. It's like, okay, wait, you're not just shopping to shop. You're shopping for other people. So the best part about holiday season is not just shopping for yourself, but also shopping for others and giving gifts. So I'm a gift giver. So my holiday list is nice. And uh, I like I like shopping. I like shopping for people. So happy holidays. Something holiday good. Um, you know, I just remember, uh, you know, we were talking about holiday memories. I just remember the anticipation is, is on, on Christmas morning is, is such an exciting thing. And um, I think that's something that sometimes we we uh, we forget about in life is that every every day is is should be Christmas every day. There should be an anticipation of waking up and, and being able to, um, you know, go about our day and, uh, and live our life and, and give back and do what we can. And that anticipation I think is important to carry with you. So something holiday good is remember the, uh, anticipation and the excitement of everyday life and, uh, make everyday Christmas and, do what you can to give back at all times. Oh, everybody's nicer during the holidays. <laughs> Sparkling lights and um, people's hearts soften and open and they're more receptive to connection and to healing. And I'm really big on healing and especially keeping your boundaries, but healing any kind of relationship wounds. I think the holidays is the perfect time that that just people soften their hearts during that time. Thank you, Erica, Brett, Shannon, and Sage for sharing your holiday good. Happy holidays to all. Next time on World Gone Good. Traveling has really opened my eyes to the greater good that is out there. There's more to this world than just the United States or just our small little hometown. And it's also just learning from other people and learning about other cultures and really kind of putting into the world what is also expected of us as travelers through the world and how we can respect the world and the people here through our art form. We are hitting the road to explore the good of travel with our good pals Regan and Allie from the Wanderlusting Wives podcast. They are all about escaping 
to faraway lands indulging in our ultimate travel fantasies and discovering the constant beauty of this ever-changing world we all live in. The good world. World gone good, we all live in. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Travel. Go. Get out of your comfort zone. Experience other cultures. Eat other foods. See places. See the world. That's what we're going to be talking about with these two wanderlusting wives on our next brand new episode. Until then, be good. Be good.